Okay, cool. All, All right. right. Anyway, let's hop in. So, guys, this book is really interesting. It was published in 1997, and um, they talk about these historians who wrote the book, they talk about cycles in American history, which take roughly 80 years. And at the end of each cycle, there is normally some kind of war. So the last cycle ended around Second World War. And if you add 80 years, um, that's, you know, roughly 2025, which you know, according to the historians, um, you know, who published the book, this is when we're gonna see some some serious uh, shit going on. And uh, Ben, maybe you can tell us a little bit what what is that you know about um, this book and the cycles and the you know what is fourth turning? Well, so it was first put forth to me by. Um, a couple people, one of them, Jeffrey Barnard, he he followed my work, uh, Waking Infinity, and he says that he's one of the original inventors of 5G technology. And um, he has some books that are out there showing the, the whole schematics of 5G and, and where it's headed. But he told me that um, a lot of my ideas of where all of this is headed with the fourth industrial complex and the rollout of new technology was really not put forth by this book, but um, all the major powers of today seem to follow the ideas in this book, not just from the book, but the whole idea that there's this 80 to 90 year cycle called the, uh, the saculum. And the saculum, basically, it's an old, um, I think it came from the Etruscans, pre-Romans, who were talking about, it's, it's, literally means a long life. So 80 to 90 years is the span of a long life. And even they noticed that there were cycles and they weren't looking at it in their stock market cycles, obviously, but they were noticing that societies seem to run in cycles. And so this book specifically called The Fourth Turning, um, William Strauss and Neil Howe, they were about to write a book about um, about American history and they came to recognize that there are these cycles of times in Anglo-Saxon American history, which are 80 to 90 years. So if you go back from today, um, roughly 80 to 90 years, you're going to be in World War II, uh, Great Depression time period. If you go back 80 to 90 years from there, you're going to roughly be around the Civil War. And then 80 to 90 years from there, you're going to be at the Revolution. And before that, even in Europe, there was this thing called the Glorious Revolution. And so I know you can look at this and say, well, I mean, you can point, there's always wars going on in the world. Um, you could just point to any specific one. But it's not like America and Anglo-Saxon America and, and um, Western world were involved in huge wars every year or every single decade. So if you look at the biggest ones, World War II was a little bit more profound than World War I, roughly around the same period. But you go back before that, again, the Civil War, that was huge for this country. The Revolutionary War, huge for the United States. And so the idea of the fourth turning is it is the winter period. And these authors, they put it into seasons. So you have this, what's called a winter or a crisis period. 
And the crisis period has very specific attributes to it. There's always an inciting incident uh, that leads through a series of other um, events that eventually leads to a climax. So it's kind of like the, a story arc in any movie or any story. And they are no shorter than 15 years or no longer than 25 years. Um, uh, well, roughly 20 years, maybe. I think it's 15 to 20 years. And they don't really break these rules. Every single time a crisis period starts, it doesn't last any longer than 20 years. So in 1997, these authors, even before that, because they were writing the book, 97 was when it was published, they were starting to notice these patterns and they realized that right after a crisis period, there's always what's called a high. And certain types of people are born almost archetypally or born during this period. Um, and they call these the, um, I think it's, it's not the philosophers, um, prophets. Prophets are born during this period. Then the next period is an awakening, which is kind of like the 60s and 70s, the hippie era where people were kind of getting a little bit more loose, um, pushing against governmental things like the war in um, Vietnam. And so the awakening, there's people, the people who are born during those, that period is called the nomad. And then the people who are born in the period after that, which we would call the millennials, are called the, the heroes. And we, uh, what that period is, the, uh, it's the autumn, and that's called the unraveling. So you have the high, the awakening, the unraveling, and just look at music. I mean, if you look at the unraveling era music, you're t talking about either 80s girls, 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 80s music, or Nirvana, Nine Inch Nails, a lot of alternative and grunge, this kind of like, what's going on with the world? I'm, I'm not happy. Um, you could sense that tone in the music. That was the unraveling, and that's when heroes are born. And then there are people who are born during a crisis period who are the artists or the silent generation, the ones who are just being told what their place is by the elders who are saying, when there's a crisis period, they go into this, you need to listen to us, younger generation. And that's what turns them into more of the artists. They just want to be there to help, and they have this extreme expressivity. And so... Right now, well, back in 97, they said, well, it looks like the next fourth turning, the winter period, is going to start roughly around 2005. Um, and they also said somewhere around 10 years after the, the publishing of the book, which was 97, which is more accurate, because you look at the housing crisis and the housing, um, the economic recession that we had at that point, even those very same authors who now work in Washington, D.C. say, yes, the housing crisis was the start of the – that was the inciting incident of the crisis period we are typically in right now. And it should last all the way to – because that started in 2008, it should last all the way to around 2028. So that should be the end of the crisis period. And just to, just to put it into perspective, we can get deeper into the details of what a crisis period brings, but it's usually the complete upheaval of a society, all the way shaken to its core. Economy changes, um, warfare changes, everything about society seems to change. Culture, economy, uh, warfare, technology, all these things seem to completely change, and government steps in, and there's huge, huge things that happen during this period that propel us into the next uh, era. 
Last time it was the green, not the green new deal. Um, what was the, um, the new deal by Roosevelt? That was kind of like, there was the big thing. And obviously we went off the gold standard right around then and went into fiat currency. Same thing is going to happen this time uh, when it comes to the economic system. And I can already, me, I can already see where it's headed. And anyone who's paying attention to the fourth industrial revolution um, and the ideas around the great reset, you can definitely tell exactly how our economy is changing right now. Yeah, I mean, before we're gonna jump into the fourth industrial revolution, um, to me, this whole concept is this whole theory is so fascinating because you know, like a lot of other people, let's say Terence McKenna, for example, he had his time wave zero theory, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but yep. I remember when you know i was researching time wave zero he was talking about uh decline of america starting roughly in uh, i'm not sure 70s or something because apparently according to his theory it was resembling um roman empire so he had slightly different uh, theory which basically is like you know the time is like a spiral and uh, the more the spiral goes in the middle, you know, the events accelerate and, um, you know, there's more other period of time. And uh, yeah, the, definitely, you know, everything goes in cycles. And I like to look at all sorts of interesting symbolism. So for example, to me, just before 2020 started, uh, in 2020, which is very interesting year numerologically, you know, like 2020, just around the summer solstice, we had a solar eclipse. It was either on the same day or the day before, which is such a powerful symbol, you know, the absence of sun on the longest day of the year, 2020, which is like, you know, 2020, like a reset number. So already before it started, I was like, wow, this is such a powerful symbolism. And I wonder what kind of events gonna unfold, you know? It's like the longest day of the year, lack of sun. And then I, I was actually thinking we're gonna have a World War Three starting. So when, you know, when was this incident with Iranian general at the end of, at the beginning of uh, 2020, I felt like this might be it. Fortunately, nothing like that happened we just have a pandemic but um you know definitely the events from last year with things like you know black lives matter with the you know what's happened with george floyd that sparked you know all the protests all around the world uh you know pandemic and uh, even trump you know they've been talking about a lot of this stuff in the book and another very interesting thing is that um, I think that a lot of these events coincide with solar activity. So we just started a new sunspot cycle, which apparently gonna peak around 2024, 2025, 2026, roughly, which would you know coincide maybe with some of these events. And the first major solar flare 
in three years when so it was a brand new cycle first major solar flare happened at the end of may 2020 which was the week when the george floyd incident happened and the protests started all around the world so basically you know you had like this crazy burst of plasma you know the biggest in three years and suddenly people go crazy and start you know disrupting society and that's apparently gonna you know start accelerating with the peak roughly 2025 so maybe coincidence i don't know maybe not what do you think about it you know <clears throat> when it comes to cycles of time um we we commoners i should say we consistently just believe that the way we live and what we hear coming from the top is the way the the top one percent and even politicians um live and what they believe we hear from the top that they are very analytical they're very science-minded and therefore they don't believe in cycles they don't believe in astrology they don't believe in cosmology and so we just believe that we buy that line hook line and sinker because we believe that cosmology oh that's all myth it's all religion it's all woo woo it's not based in science because we've had enough articles you know saying that horoscopes and all that stuff is bunk so we don't realize that even during the reagan administration reagan would um, basically calculate his speeches, and he had an astrologer in his administration. I believe there's been an astrologer in every single administration. We just don't hear about it all the time. And they are not writing their own scripts, but they say specific words during specific times, probably under specific uh, um, solar and lunar and astrological cycles. As I said, um, if this guy, Jeffrey Barnard, um, one of the original inventors of 5G technology is correct, and that the, the top echelon of the 1%, they believe in these cycles of time, and they follow this thing called the saculum, and they probably understand solar cycles as well, there's no small cycle without it fitting into a larger cycle. We know this in music. If you have like a short wave, you can multiply it out and realize that a small wave is a fractal of a larger wave and that larger wave is a fractal of a larger wave and this is just the whole idea of of the fractal reality that um more and more we know we live in so to get to the point i think that when it's known that there's going to be a period of high activity and we are creatures of the earth as much as we like to deny it we are still plugged into the earth the sun influences our pineal gland it it produces melatonin it also um modulates our daily sleep and wake cycles and that's just one of many examples of how we are intimately tied to the cycles of the planet and the planet cycles are intimately tied with the galactic cycles and the galactic cycles are intimately tied with bigger and greater cycles and so we may not believe that any of that matters to us, but that's the problem. We can't conceive of certain things like this. So I think that during 2020, during that solar cycle, all you have to do for the masses who will just believe whatever mainstream media throws at them is when there is a large uh, crescendo of energy and people don't really understand why they're feeling 
this anxiousness, this anxiety inside them, if you give them a story that allows their intellect to associate the feeling inside them to that external reality, then it's likely people will get all hot and heavy about this death. You know, it's very tragic, this death of George Floyd. But, you know, unfortunately, this actually happens all the time. But this was the inciting incident. And then, so what do you have? You have everybody taken to the streets. There were 37 major riots across the U.S. Catherine Austin Fitz did a study and found out that 34 of those 37 riots happened right within a very small vicinity around the central banks of every one of those cities. So that's higher than just chance likelihood. So what happened was all those rioters, they destroyed infrastructure and architecture and small businesses around these central banks. So these central banks, potentially what, what is, is very possible for these banks to do and what seems to be happening now, they're buying up all these businesses for pennies on the dollar so they can build up the smart grid. So they can improve their security and the smart grid, turning these cities deeper into smart cities. So with these cycles of time, I think if you can hijack the narrative around them, it's easier to cause people to think like, well, man, how did Philadelphia, how did, um, uh, what was it, uh, you know, what, not St. Louis, where did it happen? Minneapolis. How did Minneapolis, how are all these turning into technologically advanced smart cities so rapidly. Oh, do you remember all the riots? It's because we're a racist country and we hate one another and we don't know how to you know, respect each other's differences. And we went out and we destroyed the place. So our nanny state had to come in and rebuild it up. And why wouldn't they just put the latest technology in there? So this is kind of what I'm saying. It's, it's very clever to be able to blame ourselves and not take a look at the movements of the of the one percent um, for why we are moving into a technologically advanced, traced and tracked civilization. You have the pandemic as an excuse to be like, well, no wonder why we need all this tracing and tracking software on our phone, and we need to know if you've come in within six feet of even a random stranger on the street who you know may have tested positive. There's all these ideas of like, this is why we have this technology. You see, there, you, blame, you blame the pandemic, you blame our racism, you blame all these things that we, you know, either you can't blame anyone for a pandemic or you blame us for being racist, but we're pushing into a trace and track technological um, society all around the world. And it's following these cycles perfectly. And, you know, I, I don't want to go too deep into the tangent now, but when I said that the fourth turning, this winter crisis period, always affects the economy and it always um, changes the societal structure, that's literally the biggest economic and societally structured change in all of history is happening right now. It is a global techno technocratic takeover. That's exactly what this is. And it's, it's all happening from a switch to what's called shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism ushered in by the technology of the fourth industrial revolution. I know those are big terms, but we can get into that. Yeah, I mean, so what's going on with, um, you know, fourth industrial revolution and uh, automation and AI, a lot of people don't really follow 
how serious this is, how quickly it evolves. So maybe let me give you a glimpse into what's happening here. Um, so, you know, there is something uh, called Moore's Law. You know, the guy who started Intel, or he was one of the founders, he coined this term that, you know, computing power doubles roughly every two years or whatever the time is. What it means is that, you know, in the 60s, if you had a supercomputer that was, you know, the size of a floor in the building at MIT, uh, you basically, this computer was like $10 million, whatever the price was, 56 years later, your iPhone is thousand times more powerful, thousand million, times cheaper. Millions of times. Millions? Okay. Millions of times. Yeah. <laughs> and, Just know, the Apollo, the first it. Apollo mission, the first Apollo mission had computers that are as strong as modern day calculators. So your cell phone is millions of times stronger than the first Apollo mission, but go on. Yeah. So, you know, the trajectory of how technology is changing, um, you know, if you make, if you double something, let's say, you know, 30 times, you have 1 billion. So, you know, they're talking about quantum computers or computers size of a blood cell in the next, whatever, 20 years, millions of times more powerful. And, uh, you know, I've been looking at what's going on with software and how things are evolving. And even uh, Google's DeepMind project, which is their AI division, uh, you know, they created software that learned itself how to play Go and which is considered one of the more, you know, more, most advanced games in, in the world where you have mm -hmm. more combinations than atoms in the universe. And uh, in the AI field, they were talking about that it might take them whatever next 10, 20 years to create a software that will be able to do what DeepMind did 10 years earlier. I'm not sure it was 10 or 12 years, but basically they're already way ahead with, you know, what we're aware of and it grows exponentially. So over the next 10 years, changes might be just um, you know unimaginable with some of that technology and, and AI. So you know a lot of people think it's science fiction but things might change very quickly. you know think about how our lives changed in the last 10 50 media came about right Suddenly everyone is doing things very differently. So these changes will just keep accelerating faster and faster and faster. And um, so what can we expect? What do you think will be happening in this decade? This decade is going to be the biggest decade for innovation. You know, Elon Musk believes that by 2023, two years away, we're going to have super intelligent AI. That's a game changer for history, not just technology as we know it now, but all of history. Um, just about every single um, engineer, technically or scientifically minded person in the past century has said that 
general AI, a, you know, artificial general intelligence or super advanced, um, super intelligent AI is the last invention that humanity is ever going to make. Because then every invention by humanity will look like, you know, a twig to fish termites out of a, you know, a hole like, you know, chimpanzees and orangutans use um, compared to an iPhone today. Because AI will be able to, in a sense, produce its own technology and produce new technology. So this is the fourth industrial revolution. Like here's, here's what Wikipedia says about it. Fourth industrial revolution is the ongoing automation of traditional manufacturing and industrial practices using modern smart technology. So you're always going to hear that term smart technology, large scale machine to machine communication. So this is when the, in the internet of things, machines are communicating with other machines with no need for human intervention the machines can analyze and diagnose their own issues with no human intervention whatsoever and in fact we would slow it down we would be a bottleneck to it so you know in the next year what i think we're going to start experiencing is not all of humanity is going to see this skyrocketing at the pace that it already is because if you think about it I don't know many people, I know a lot of people in Boulder and around Denver, none of them that I've talked to know that in streets, especially in highways, uh, brand new highways in Denver, there's smart dust in the cement. So this is nano sized, um, basically sensors in the streets that communicate with the cloud. So think of little tiny nano cell phones. And your car is also, most cars now have computer chips that communicate to the cloud. So we're getting into smart cars, smart dust inside the pavement. So when you're driving, these sensors know exactly where you are on the road at all times. They know how fast you're going, when and exactly where on the road you went faster, where you stopped, when you pulled off, if you passed in a lane or in a, in a, um, in an area where you're not supposed to pass to where you'll eventually just receive an online because you don't get stuff in the mail anymore these days. You'll get it in your email uh, ticket, a cyber ticket for having passed in you know an area where you're not supposed to pass. This is technology that's already in use, but how many people in Denver and Boulder know about this technology? They don't. And most of them, they wouldn't know where their ticket even came from. They would just be like, all right, I guess I'll pay it. So this is what I mean. Our technology is far is already far beyond what we can conceive of. And so it's just going to keep going deeper and deeper into that direction. Mm -hmm. And so where it's already headed, you were mentioning nano scale technology. So there's two different things or three different things that we need to look out for. If you don't know what the Internet of Things is, it's basically any smart device is part of the internet of things so this computer this phone they communicate with one another we know that by um airdropping stuff and we know that our phone can be listening right now just because it's sitting right next to me even if i turn it off so that's the internet of things it's machines communicating with machines without us having to make it happen the internet of bodies is the next thing it's how do we Th think of data companies bigger than big oil as of 2016 2017 it big data became bigger than big oil so it's a bigger commodity out there so big data companies from their perspective they're like 
the more data we get and the more minute and granular that data is, the more we know about people and the more we know how to sell to them. But it's not just about selling. It's how do we control every aspect of their life? So just walking around with a phone, I could decide to put this phone down and go out into the woods. Then it's not taking my data anymore. So they came out with Apple Watches and Fitbits. That's the external wearable kinds of the Internet of Bodies. The Internet of Bodies is to harvest data from our body and send it to the cloud. So how fast I'm moving, what my gait cycle is, walking up and down. By the way, there's out of um, Aston University, I think his name is Max Little. He came up with a way to use the technology that's already in your phone to check your gait cycle, which is the cycle of how you walk. And it can accurately determine, um, actually 100% accuracy so far, whether you have early stages of Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, based on how you walk, based on a tiny sensor in your phone, better than doctors can detect. So now, imagine that there's the Internet of Bodies on the outside of your body. And then eventually, Neuralink is another phase of the Internet of Bodies. It's injectable and implantables. There's already implantable uh, pacemakers, smart pacemakers, that even though it's a part of your body, it can testify against you in the court of law, which happened in Youngstown, Ohio. There was a man, now this man should have been brought to justice for sure, but he set a fire to his own house to collect insurance money. He was 68 years old, he had a pacemaker, and the fire department was like, this looks like the fire was started in two different places, so I want to check this guy's smart meter to see whether he was moving around a lot right before the fire. Turns out he was, so they used that in the court of law. His own pacemaker testified against him in the court of law, and he was convicted of arson. So this is all part of the Internet of Bodies. Another thing is you can, in your pills, there's little sensors that in your medicine, you swallow it, it goes into your gut, it senses stuff from your gut, your microbiome, how the medicine is interacting with your body. This is the Internet of Bodies. Then it's moving out to the Internet of Humans and the Internet of Nanotechnology. This is already happening. We already have this technology. It's already being rolled out. The thing is, is how many people actually know about this? Barely anybody. Yeah. So I guess to, le to leave you on is what this is headed towards. We've all heard of 5G. 5G is going to be leaps and bounds faster than 4G. You will be able to download a two, three gigabyte film in is a matter of like two seconds. Volts? It's actually 100,000 times faster. And people say 100 times fold, but the actual, uh, I've looked at that and they're wrong. It's 100,000 times faster for several reasons. You're still going to have 4G, and then you have hundreds of thousands of these 5G masts everywhere. And that's adding to the band or the ability to download because you can use 4G and 5G on your phone simultaneously. So the the idea is 4G is like a garden hose. How much water can you fit through a garden hose? Just that amount, right? Mm -hmm. How many hoses can you fit in the tunnel, right? The tunnel, an entire car, even like a full-size car, can drive through the tunnel. 
it's not just a hundred hoses you can fit in the channel. You could fit about a hundred thousand hoses in the channel. So that's the analogy that people use. Imagine 4G is using a garden hose of water. How much water could you flush through the channel? A lot more. So that's 5G. But the idea behind 5G is this is the start of when technology can communicate with one another in real time faster than we can think. The next step after that is going to be 6G. And I'll, I'll leave it at this because I know this is a lot of like big, heady information, but we need to understand what 6G is going to be. And 6G is not going to take another 10 years. It'll be here in about three years, I imagine. 6G is when we'll have digital twinning and the sentient world simulation. Very important terms you need to listen to. Digital twinning means if you've seen the movie on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, you'll see that there's this kid who's always on his cell phone, but then they'll show there's people in this dark room pretending like they're the algorithm saying like, wait, you know, this guy, this guy is within 15 feet of a girl that we know he likes because he keeps checking her page. So let's, um, let's send him this advertisement or let's do this or that. Well, they are testing out their theories on a digital twin. So it's like an avatar. It's like a video game with all of your data imprinted into it. It looks like you. It it goes through the same processes as you. Its data knows more about you probably than you can remember about your own life. That's what a digital twin is. Now they can make hundreds or potentially infinite digital twins of you, push all those digital twins through a bunch of different simulations to see if X, Y, and Z happens tomorrow. How is Ben Joseph Stewart going to behave? Well, based on all the data we have, here are the three most likely ways he's going to behave. Here's what he's going to do with his phone. Here's what he's going to purchase. And here, here's the locations he's going to visit. Okay, how do we advertise to him? And how do we know whether he's going to go to a protest that we don't want him to go to? You know, these types of things. So our digital twin comes in 6G. And then the sentient world simulation is a mirror of the entire world. It's a digital mirror of the entire world in a simulated fashion to put our digital twins through. And here's the big kicker. On top of all that, we'll have the spatial web and the, um, the spatial internet, which basically means you won't need to leave your house anymore. You won't, you know, we're not going to be allowed to go to um, national parks anymore, but don't worry. You can go to this national park without leaving your bedroom. You can go there virtually. You can go to the store like Amazon and actually pick stuff off the shelf virtually with haptic devices that know what your hands are grabbing in relation to the headset. This is the world that we're moving into. And in 10 years, I think we're going to start seeing where you, humans are not going to be allowed to access large spots of nature. Major In the U.S., it's the ones that are held by the United Nations Educational Science uh, and Community Organizations called UNESCO. That is like the major um, national parks. So we're not going to be able to visit the national parks under Sustainable Development or Agenda 21, but don't worry. You can just do it from your bedroom. That's the spatial internet. So that's all 6G, a digital simulation. You send your video game avatar in there to purchase things, to go and experience the world. If you want to go and travel, don't worry about traveling. You don't have your vaccine passport. Don't worry about that. All you got to do is put your headset on. You can go there. 
So I think I've I've said enough. That's enough to blow most people's minds. Um, but I I yeah. guarantee we're going to see that in this decade. Yeah, it's, it's it's actually really important to mention that you know whenever there is something for free convenience, um, you become the product, right? So let's say with Amazon, for example, you know I heard that something like half of US uses Amazon Prime. And I understand, you know, mm -hmm. it's convenient. They have greatest selection of goods, always competitive prices or lower prices, but this all comes with a price. So, you know, at the same time, independent businesses are going bankrupt because they're crushing competition. Uh, and um, they develop devices like, you know, Alexa or Echo, uh, basically now s scan your room, scan your house. They know everything about you. Um, you know, some of these like smart devices like uh, microwave, smart microwave or fridge that basically knows what when you are running out of products. So, you know, the idea is that if you're running out of eggs, Prime will send it to you automatically without you even clicking on the button because it, they're going to know everything about you. And uh, that's, you know, so we get this convenience, better prices, but we don't even notice when we become the product. And uh, soon, sooner or later, like it's, it's going to turn against us. And um, interesting thing is obviously for me, it's uh, Neuralink, which is the microchip company started by Elon Musk. And uh, initially, you know, they, they said this year uh, monkeys were able to play video games using Neuralink. And basically it's, you know, with regular tech, smartwatches, cell phones, you can still switch it off. With Neuralink, they actually drill a hole in your skull that is the size of a coin and they install a microchip and link it to your brain. And they advertise it as, you know, something amazing because initially it's going to help maybe medical patients, um, you know, which is great. But obviously, you know, that's just for them to test it, right? If they can, uh, how, how can they test things like that? The best is to start with medical patients because some of them have no other choices. And, you know, not, not everyone wants to have a hole drilled in their head, right? So... Then they're going to tell you, you can stream music, you know, you can uh, watch movies, you can um, access the internet by thinking only. And this might sound great, but at some point people, and it's all optional, you know, it's, it's only for those who are willing to have these kind of things installed. But later on, if people who use these devices become 10 times more productive, 100 times more productive, then, you know, potential employer might hire someone with Neuralink. So in a way, everyone will be forced to have these devices. It's like, think about you want to get a job now, but you don't want to use a computer or mobile phone or Google or anything like that. It's, it's very hard to get a job these days if you decide you don't want to use a computer. So that's 
what it might happen. We might be forced to have these devices. And now the farther it goes, you have a corporation that suddenly has a full control over you, full control of all the information in your body, anything you think about. Imagine, you know, you have Chinese government that has access to this kind of information, anything you're going to think against them, <laughs> they know it straight away. So this is where we are heading. And I think it's, it's really dangerous and we, we need to be aware what's, you know, where we are heading and it's just behind around the corner. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just to, to piggyback off what you were saying, there was, um, <clears throat> I, I think I clicked off of it last time, but basically I was going to read you an article. I interviewed this guy named Dan Fagella back in the day about advancing technologies. And um, he's now called upon by Interpol, the United Nations, some big uh, like world banks um, to help them innovate with AI. And I want to get back in touch with him because he wrote something about what I was talking about earlier, the sentient world simulation. And what he said this is going to allow them to do, and when I say them, I mean big data companies, uh, is the same thing that Facebook has, has already produced is a technology to predict your thoughts. And many of us are like, this is so Hollywood. How could that be? Well, the thing is, is if you had access to the best supercomputers in the world, computers that I would say 90% of the population can't conceive of how it actually, you know, how well it actually finds probabilities and possibilities. And then you take all the massive amounts of data that's been collected from us since the very beginning with DARPA. I'm talking the ARPANET was, it's, it's old and our data has been collected for a while. So our grandparents' data, our parents' data, our data increasingly more um, uh, proliferated. And all of that is pumped through simulations to see like, okay, let's just go for two years trying to predict what Ben Joseph Stewart is going to do. Okay, how accurate were we after the two years? Where were we wrong? How do we adjust course to get more accurate there? Just like any business, right? You have a business plan. Certain things work really well. Certain products work really well. Certain things fall flat on their face. You're like, huh, okay, let those go bye-bye um, or find out how it failed and fine-tune it. And over time, if you're doing this with proper metrics and measurements, then you're going to be able to fine-tune all of this. So the whole idea behind the sentient world um, simulation, what Facebook has already produced to pretty much predict our thoughts is very much so like that movie Minority Report with um, mm -hmm. Tom Cruise, where he was basically a detective that would arrest people for future crimes, crimes that they were simply planning on committing. And... This whole idea, its it seems so far-fetched, but it's actually already in the door. It's not on its way. It's actually already here. And you were mentioning Amazon with predictive shipping. That's been the whole plan since the beginning. All the smart technology talking to itself so they can just predictively ship you what you need. One day, it'll just be by drones. And drone technology has gotten so incredible that hive mind drones can actually fly faster more accurately and in a sense almost 
smarter, dare I say, than a flock of birds. And we know how brilliantly flocks of birds can fly almost like as a single organism. Hive mind drones are doing the same thing. And so what we're stepping into now is a world where our thoughts are being predicted and there's measures put in place. If we wish to oppose what's happening, measures are being put in place. First, they start by socially discrediting who we are. You know, if I'm going to go out and say something again against this, there's already going to be bots waiting for anything that I post to basically start finding like what what was this video about or what was this blog post about and how can we start discrediting this guy? And I don't think I'm such a big, you know, uh threat, but in a sense like I don't need to be. If there's enough bots, they can find somebody with 15 subscribers. And, you know, all it is is computing and processing power. So we really are stepping into a world where it, we're getting closer and closer to checkmate. And I want to leave the audience with a little bit of hope. I think that the biggest oversight that we've been having lately is that data equals knowledge. And that data processing equals intelligence. And that's just not the case. Data is often very biased and it's very singular. Uh, take, for instance, when like ammonium nitrates or, or I'm sorry, different uh, nitrates and nitrites and uh, fertilizers were applied to agriculture. You can say as soon as these um, fertilizers were applied, our growth rates and the um, our efficiency rates and our yield started to increase. But it didn't show that water um, irrigation uh, practices got better and that other there were, I think, two or three other um, factors involved at the same exact time, just like with the polio vaccine. Look, as soon as the vaccine came along, all of a sudden polio has gone. Well, what happened at the same exact time was sanitation skyrocketed, clean water skyrocketed, and a bunch of other things environmentally happened. But who was given the credit? It's kind of like, you know, a big company like Apple gets started and we're like, oh, Steve Jobs, what an incredible guy. Let's not take anything away from Steve Jobs, but what about all those people that invented things that he didn't actually invent? Like he was like, I need a computer to be silent. I want it to be fast. And there's engineers like, oh yeah, great. You know, why don't you just say I want it to fly and I have to figure it out? So the engineers were really the silent heroes. And so data is like, hey, look, fertilizers, yield grows up. We need more fertilizers. Here you go, Monsanto. Here's a huge bid. Here's a way for Monsanto to become a monopoly. And this is where we get into the issue of thinking that data equals knowledge and data processing equals intelligence, and it doesn't. And I believe that humans have a certain intelligence to us that it's a, a dormant or a latent um, potential inside of us that we're not tapping. And there are certain practices, Wim Hof uh, methods, breathing, meditation, psychedelics, vision quests of all kinds, community, um, rites of passage, all these things allow us to see our potential more. But what we're doing is we're outsourcing all of our potential to computers. And then we're forgetting that we were powerful at all in the beginning. I think we need to start returning to our own potential before it's too late because checkmate is right around the corner. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting if you think about, let's say, 
you have a calculator, right? And um, in the past, you had to f count things in your head, maybe, or, you know, now you're just lazy, you have it in your phone. So in a way, you're not developing uh, your abilities to do math in your head, for example, right? It's, it's the same thing might be happening with using technology too much, you know? Instead of going to the wood, we're going to be going virtually. And uh, at some point, or maybe next generation, we might lose our abilities, you know? We might completely lose our natural abilities. And, uh, and remember that this technology is going to be run by company. <laughs> It's going to be someone mm -hmm. there who gonna might misuse the data governments corporations do it all the time and might it might turn against us so yeah it's important to remember um to be careful i think the path should be like technology is great we want to use technology to enhance our lives but not to go too far with, with towards this direction right have a balance with you know organic life and uh, tech cool all right guys uh this is i guess that's all for today um check out ben's work we shared the links um so waking infinity news on youtube ben is publishing uh his news a couple of times a week benjosephstewart.com uh, we shared a link to the book if you want to buy the book find out a little bit more about it um, and um, hopefully next week wednesday this time we're going to do another live so we'll let you know in advance and thank you for joining me ben yeah thank you for having me man this is great